in the era of cloud costs <laughs> associated with you know rented time on other people's cloud platforms, it's got to be running up bills as well, right? You know, it's just wasted money if you don't have the ability to stem the tide of that attack volume. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That was my friend, Dr. Sam Small, Chief Security Officer at Zero Fox, and he's here to talk with us about credential stuffing. The various implications, credential stuffing as a service, DBIR and F5 reports and their stats over time, as well as common techniques and traps in fighting credential stuffing, and the obligations of those who have a credential breach. It's going to be a fantastic show, and Sam, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, Alan. I'm glad to finally make it. We've been talking about this for a while. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. All right, so tell us a little bit briefly here about how you got into cyber and a little bit about your day job. I went to college and earned a computer science degree. I fell in love with network and, and systems type of problems. Uh, security was still kind of a niche area. You know, they didn't have a security specific course or anything at the time. Uh, and then when I went to graduate school at Johns Hopkins for my master's and PhD, I switched over to security as my area of research uh, because it seemed like a, a really good way to marry pragmatic or practical solutions with an impact that really made a difference. And so since about uh, 22 years old, security is kind of the only thing I've known and I've had a lot of fun with it. As far as my day job goes, I'm currently Chief Security Officer at ZeroFox. We are in the digital risk protection and cyber threat intelligence space. So for maybe your viewers who don't know what digital risk protection is, it's this idea of searching for all of the uh, threats and risks that exist beyond your enterprise systems or accounts that you you control or own and, and looking for issues, whether it be on the dark web, deep web, open web social media sites, you know, it's, it's looking for all those places where trouble may lurk that if you didn't go looking for it, would probably never appear as an event in your SIM or or your logs or anything like that. You you can't control those sorts of things. So so what we also do is help people remediate and mitigate those issues by working with those providers and vendors. That's quite a lot there. And it makes a lot of sense why you wanted to talk about credential stuffing. It seems like there's a good overlap between this topic and, and what you're doing in the day job. Uh, so, so briefly for our listeners, what is credential stuffing and why should we care about it? Yeah, that's a great question. It's funny when when credential stuffing first really took off as as the as the term of art, I wasn't exactly sure what it meant at first. And I remember I went to go look it up, and I, and I saw oh that that's that's all this is. That's what it is. It's, it's kind of funny. And, and as I was preparing a little report about credential stuffing and how to address it programmatically, so let me tell you what it is first. Uh, so credential stuffing is is really just the concept that someone would somehow have access to valid credentials for a certain site or service, either through theft or an exposed API or something like that. And then they would have this theory that perhaps someone reused their password for that site elsewhere. And so credential stuffing is now taking that credential pair and going to maybe a site that that has some sort of value to you as an attacker. Like maybe perhaps if you use a forum website where you love to talk about cars and racing, well, maybe you use that same password for your Gmail account or for your bank account or something like that. That is basically the idea. I think the stuffing aspect comes from kin to ballot stuffing almost. So what attackers do is you know, they take whatever credentials they can find and then they throw them against the wall and see what sticks you know, all over the internet, basically. Just shoving them every place they can and hoping for the best. 
Yeah. And this is, you know, obviously, you know, the first thing you would do if you came up upon someone's credentials is, is try to log into the actual service it's supposed to come from. But yeah, I think a smart criminal quickly goes on to the idea that, you know, they're probably reusing this elsewhere. Let me, let me check it out. And then, uh, yeah, the thing that I thought was interesting is, uh, you know, when I looked up credential stuffing, <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, that's, that's all this is. I, I realized that, uh, that the term wasn't invented until about 2011 when one of the co-founders of Shape Security uh, Sumi Agarwal, he, he kind of coined that phrase when he was with the uh, Department of Defense. But this idea that you would take, you know, breach credentials or or a password dump and try it other places has been around for a very long time. I, I guess it just didn't have a real catchy kind of term associated with it. I'm thinking of ransomware, and I'm thinking of credential stuffing as a, as an obvious precursor to ransomware. I these days, my take on all the bad things happening is that they all terminate in ransomware. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, statistically, I think it's probably still only 80, 85 percent of attacks. But honestly, just about any vehicle of getting in, it seems like the end goal these days is ransomware. It's gotten frustrating. And one of the things with ransomware is this fact that that non-technical criminals can basically rent botnets as a service sort of thing and launch their attacks. Is credential stuffing working the same way? Are there bad guy services out there on the dark web where a criminal can simply say, hey, you know, you've got a database of 100,000 passwords. I want to go apply them to these 500 sites. Can I rent this botnet and do that? Is it is it available in that sort of commodity basis? Definitely. It, yes. Yeah. So, you know, we've seen that cyber criminals have quickly learned from the uh, cloudification of legitimate businesses, and they've, they've set up kind of these, you know, these mirrored or shadowed kind of business endeavors on the dark side. And so, yeah, it's a very similar thing where I can, I can just buy breached credentials from a, another vendor or a, you know, a higher powered, more, you know, broker of, of these sorts of things. And then I can use a stuffing tools. Well, you know, you don't have to have a lot of talent. You just have to have the will to want to take over people's accounts. And uh, so not only is that part of it, but then there's also, I don't know if you've ever talked about phishing kits on your show before, but you know, as far as credential harvesting, you know, it's not maybe not just a breach, but maybe I want to actively fish people to collect their credentials. Those are available as well through these kind of malware as a service providers. You know, this could be like a two-part attack, right? Where it's like I'm interested in phishing uh, the credentials of you know people's bank accounts, and then I will also then go try it against other sites where it may have some value to me. So it's it's prevalent too. It's not just that it might be a precursor to ransomware, which we all know is crazy prevalent, but it's it's mm-hmm. it's a pronounced enough uh, attack vector on its own right. I was looking at the 2021 uh, Verizon Data Breach Incident Report, the DBIR, the world famous DBIR, and they were saying that 23% of those surveyed, and DBIR surveys quite a lot of folks, so it's a very good representative sample. 23% were exposed to credential stuffing, and of those, 95% were hit with some re- ridiculous number of attacks. It was, I mean, it was, uh, I'm going to call it tons of attacks. It was, if you are getting credential stuffed, you're getting hit with an insane amount of attempts. Uh, yes. and, and I can't imagine that, you know, the bad guys are going to be successful with that much effort, uh, number one. And number two, there's almost a certain denial of service kind of capability happening there too, if, <laughs> if, if they're not careful, right? I mean, I can't imagine getting hit with millions or even billions of uh, attempted logins without it shutting down some of my services. That's exactly right. And I think, you know, that's why you see it's, it's, it's pretty common for content delivery networks to offer kind of anti-bot services for that very reason as well, because they can, they can see these things at scale and deal with them at scale. And, you know, you mentioned denial of service, I mean, you know, in the era of, of cloud costs <laughs> associated with, you know, rented time on other people's cloud platforms, I think it's also, it's got to be running up bills as well, right? You know, it's just wasted money if you don't have the ability to stem that attack volume. 
That makes a lot of sense. So what about what about some other statistics? I just did a very brief scratching at the surface. I just went to DBIR like I always do. What else? I mean, I know you've got other stuffing stats you've dug up, right? Yes, I have. And that DBIR report is fantastic. And, and you know, there's not a lot dedicated specifically to credential stuffing, but there is there's a good portion there that uh, that's a little interesting in, in describing how things have changed, not only in the wild, but also how uh, Verizon is kind of evaluating and looking at that data differently as this becomes an issue that's more and more at the forefront of organizations, you know, list of concerns. F5 also produces kind of a credential, I think it's an annual credential stuffing report that's really fantastic and has some great statistics in it. The two that I think are the most interesting together are the first being that the number of annual credential spill incidents has nearly doubled between 2016 and 2020. So, you know, in those four years, uh, there's been twice as many incidents of credential spills. And obviously, those spills lead to stuffing. Um, But coinciding with that, they report that the annual volume of spilled credentials has mostly declined during those same four years. So this is kind of interesting. You you know, well, which is it, right? So uh, the way I read that is there are a lot more incidents here, but overall, the number of credentials is, is smaller. And I'm not sure exactly why that is. My theory is you have a lot of software as a service offerings that are catering to uh, smaller uh, user bases and because these software as a service companies are usually smaller companies, so you know they're they're not far from being an early startup. They probably don't have a very mature security program or security uh, controls and things like that. So what you're seeing is you're seeing it's happening more often, but it's happening in smaller communities rather than Yahoo getting breached or Google getting breached and having all of their credentials spilled. And so that that's kind of the way I read it is that we're doing a great job at larger companies, bigger enterprises, things like that, and there's still work to be done. Where security is, uh, you may they they might still be hiring their first, you know, uh, executive security hire or uh, or something like that. Yeah, the other stat I would love to see is the effectiveness of the attack itself versus you know like you've got a hundred credentials in your bad guy database and only mm-hmm. one in a hundred actually works on another side or two in a hundred. In other words, all this education we've been doing about password reuse. Is it working? <laughs> can, we, yeah. can we can we validate and show that some of this reduction might be because of folks actually finally not reusing passwords? I mean, I would love to think that all the security awareness training I've put forth over the years in various environments has actually had some kind of impact, but maybe not. I would I would love to see that stat. I would love to see that as well. Anecdotally, I will tell you, it's unfortunate. I still run into people all the time, even like family members, people who know what I do. You know, they'll freely admit to reusing, or you know, they're having trouble logging into something and. Uh, and I'm just like, oh, will you please get a password manager? Or will, you, will you please find some some sort of system in your head that works that say you're not reusing these credentials because it's it's very dangerous. Let's pause right there and hear a brief word from our sponsor. The complexity of cloud infrastructure means every organization's security challenges are unique. Whether your challenge is threat hunting, policy management, cloud workload protection, or all of the above, Uptix helps you quickly identify and eliminate observability gaps in your security program. That's Uptix. Analytics for the modern attack surface, observability for the modern defender. Check out Uptix by visiting uptix.com. That's U-P-T-Y-C-S dot com. Thank you, Uptix, for sponsoring this episode. So what are some common traps um, dealing with credential stuffing, right? How much effort should we put into fighting it? What's a reasonable amount of effort? And what are the common traps when we do decide to fight it? 
there's one more stat from that F5 report that I found really interesting in relation to this question. And uh, a couple of years ago, there was a large data breach collection released called uh, Collection X. That was kind of a, an aggregated uh, collection of, of, of smaller data breaches and things like that. And in the F5 report, they, they report that nearly 33% of the logins attempted through these credential stuffing attacks that they had visibility into were using credentials compromised in Collection X. So the first trap is that maybe you're not paying attention to data breaches on the web. Because if you did, from like a threat intelligence perspective within your organization or maybe through a threat intelligence partner, you could probably determine, okay, do any of our employees or customers, were they involved in any of these data breaches from the past or any new ones that have you know, since been released? And if so, we can probably guess that there, you know, stuffing is going to come our way and it's going to come our way specifically for these accounts. So you know, not paying attention to anything other than what's coming through your systems or looking at activity, your authorization endpoints or on your you know, website login, that, that's a mistake. That's, that's a huge mistake. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of services out there like Have I Been Pwned, et cetera, that people can use on their own kind of manually. But there's also companies and services, including Have I Been Pwned, that that also offer kind of an enterprise API service offering. And so you should be kind of checking your your user base against those types of sites, et cetera. You know, that's number one. I think uh, (laughs) one trap that, that we often see as well is, and I think the media is partially to blame for this, it tends to be very easy for the media to confuse credential stuffing and data breaches. They're not the same thing. You can get stuffed with someone else's data breach, it doesn't mean that you've had a data breach. And so, you know, sometimes you see an organization almost not be too concerned about credential stuffing because they haven't had a data breach. And like, there's no requirement here for that to be the case. I could go on and on about this, but I think the, the, you know, the last one I'll mention just right now is there's so many systems involved and there's so many roles involved in a modern security program that you know, I think you have some people really, you know, looking at that network traffic and saying, hey, we're seeing a spike of failed logins and, and repeated logins, et cetera. But they're not coordinating that again with, with maybe some of the other systems or other sources of, of data within, within the organization, or they're not reporting those things as well. And so that can lead to some problems as well, because again, things fall through the cracks. And so, uh, you know, for instance, if you're, if you're able to kind of investigate common commonality between data on in one team or data on another team, again, you can remediate or mitigate some of these issues by going to the service providers who are essentially hosting these cyber criminals and having some of their infrastructure torn down, et cetera. That's just one example. There's others, but uh, there's a lot of things that people should be doing that's just difficult because, you know, there's a lot on a practitioner's hands on a daily basis. Yeah, so that's that's a really interesting point, this idea that you could aggressively go after them. If you see the stuffing attack coming from wherever, you can call the wherever say, you know, place and say, hey, you're hosting bad guys. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that particular angle. I was thinking more just in terms of the day-to-day defenses. Uh, you've already talked mm-hmm. about sort of being aware of the breaches that are out there. Uh, and if they come from partners or supply chain, perhaps you should be looking at that, right? You've mentioned... Um, you know, going after the bad guys. I'm thinking just in terms of general purpose defense, what are some good tips? Just I'm, I'm trying to prevent being yes. credential stuffed. What, what am I going to do as a day-to-day practitioner? Maybe I've got some security awareness training capability. Maybe I've just got whatever small staff I've got to, to do the technicals and operational piece. What other little things can I be doing? OWASP has a really great cheat sheet uh, on this topic called the credential stuffing prevention. And so they mentioned a few things. Unfortunately, all of these things kind of come with caveats, uh, depending on your business and uh, how much friction is tolerated 
by your users, et cetera. But the fir- first and foremost, obviously, don't reuse a password. It's easy to say. It's difficult for us in the catbird seat at our organization to know whether or not someone's reusing a password. So you know, beyond that, beyond that kind of training, you know, that your next best bet is multi-factor authentication. Mm-hmm. And so that is not going to work for everyone in every instance. Again, for you know, for the reasons I just mentioned, kind of briefly. Also, if you're using a, a second factor that's not necessarily secure, like maybe a like a, your second your second factor is SMS. That's easily fished, you know. So you'll probably improve things, but uh, you might still end up with some issues. There's a lot that can be done there. If you can deploy multi-factor authentication everywhere, then do it. That's great. Uh, you might you might have to look at at different methods that are context specific as well. But uh, you know that that'll take care of a, a lot of issues. Uh, and then alternatively. Yeah, you, you know, you'd want some sort of maybe like a web application firewall or some sort of uh, bot detection and remediation or DDoS a kind of prevention or, or, or protection provider or service. So there's a lot of options there, again, to kind of prevent some of that network spiking that we that we you know we talked about earlier um, again having access to some sort of uh, a, whether it's a, a service that provides you with a subscription to information about breaches or allows you to test accounts against a, uh, a known breach database. Again, that's something that's that's great to do because if you find something there, you can ask a user to reset a password or you can ask that user to enroll in multi-factor authentication, whereas you know, maybe it's an option before that, et cetera. One of the things I love about you know, some of the tools I use, you know, for instance, Gmail and, and some other types of systems is, is that they let me look at my login activity, whether I successfully authenticated or whether I've had a failed authentication attempt. And so I think sometimes, depending on the context, you know, showing the users kind of that kind of activity in a user-friendly way, uh, or maybe only when there's something a little strange happening, uh, you know, people, they'll take responsibility if they see something that's not right. And then, and then they'll contact often the, the uh, help desk or security team and say, I don't know what's going on here, but it looks like someone you know targeted me. And and again, then you know from that perspective, then it's very easy to help that person on a one-on-one basis and make sure that uh, you know that they're reminded how to have unique passwords or or how to manage lots of different passwords, et cetera. So uh, yeah. I think I think there's a lot of different aspects there. Yeah, and this ties into that whole philosophy of never shaming your users and always creating a culture yes. where they're open and willing to come to you with their stuff. And obviously, yeah, MFA, no brainer there. And other stuff, right? Pins, security questions, secondary passwords, mm-hmm. and and I think for the website type stuff, captchas, I think is is in that OWASP list. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you know, multi-step login processes, right? Yeah, that's right. Again, depending on your, on, your, on the type of organization that you're defending and, and who you're defending, device fingerprinting can be very helpful as well, right? Or or kind of geolocation of those things. Now, obviously, those aren't foolproof, but we've seen that work really well for certain types of organizations, whether it's through some sort of deployed certificate system to endpoints, et cetera, or, or, or other things. You have a lot of options. It's just the thing that bothers me the most in this topic area is, you know, there's some great advice out there, but it's all a little shallow. When you try to look for advice from a program perspective on, you know, how do we kill stuffing like end to end? I didn't really find anything. I think there's work to be done there. What are some of the common traps then dealing with it, right? Like, I think we've already covered some of these, but mm-hmm. if I'm attempting to deal with credential stuffing and I feel like I've got a comprehensive program, but I don't actually, what is the delta between comprehensive and not? Everything at some point in a program should hopefully be tied to kind of a key performance indicator or a key risk indicator. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't have some some reporting, some high-level reporting on this type of activity and Maybe not only, you know, what's the volume of stuffing attempts that you're seeing, but also generally if you can bucket them into incidents, I don't know how they look at your organization or someone else's organization, that's helpful. And also if you're able to, you know, to start using 
kind of that intelligence about known breached credentials or known breaches from different organizations, if you could start to leverage that and use that to proactively either notify customers or users that are also affected because they are customers or users of yours as well as the breach victim, I think that's a huge win. And if you can report on that, you can really show the value of what you're investing there in your program. And so, but, but for every organization, it's going to be a little different. But if, I think uh, that's one way to rally the whole organization behind this type of initiative is to have some, some measurements, whether they be quantitative or qualitative. That's the starter pack advice I would give from that perspective. That get something measurable on the table just to get started and not be dealing with it in a void or a vacuum, but but tying it rather to specific goals. I like that. And I was thinking too, and this is back to the individual sort of tactical things can be done. One of the things OWASP recommended that I had forgotten about as we were having that piece of the conversation was funky usernames. Like mm-hmm. if I'm alan.offered at whatever.com gets hacked, I shouldn't be alan.offered at, at myjob.com, right? I should be something completely unrelated or jazzed up in some way or something non-standard so they can't just try that same username they now have to try to figure out varying usernames and i think by that point the botnet approach is is breaking down completely right yeah although i that's probably my least favorite one only because i think as a user whenever i don't use one of my standard kind of usernames or something on i always forget what it is or have a hard time remembering and you know i use LastPass for most things but you know occasionally there'll be something and uh that diversity, that, that really messes with my head sometimes. And so, it, you know, it depends on, again, there's there's a lot of differences and tolerances between these types of things. And even MFA, uh, again, by industry or kind of by transaction type. And, you know, I think some organizations are worried about almost a, an abandoned cart type situation when it comes to making their users jump through too many hoops. But I think most people are familiar enough and comfortable enough with multi-factor authentication today that some form or some type could probably be applied in a lot of these uh, instances. Right. And keep that usability factor high. That has to be considered at least as much as the security aspect. If you're going to roll out a successful program, you know, users punching their fists through their computers, right? That's the whole reason people reuse their passwords in the first place. Ease of use, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then, uh, you know, we've seen some interesting things as well from some proposals that are really interesting. So, uh, you know, I used to be an academic, and so I like to keep track of what people are doing there. And I read a really interesting paper from UNC Chapel Hill. They propose a protocol for websites to allow a single user to kind of monitor all their accounts for credential stuffing attempts uh, in, a, in a federated way. So, you know, while credential stuffing tends to be at the top of the list, along with other types of brute force attacks today, in terms of like volume that organizations are, are struggling with, I don't think it has to be that way forever. I think there's still some creativity left in the space for us to apply. It's a great approach. I think that's a great step in the right direction. And I'm thinking of there's an inverse that we haven't discussed in any of this either. And that inverse is mm-hmm. I'm the guy whose credentials got leaked. I'm I'm the mm-hmm. entity whose user accounts and passwords somehow got out the door. You know, uh, whatever. I'm going to, you know, uh, LinkedIn had one a while back, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm LinkedIn. And now I know, you know, a million, whatever, I'm making up numbers now, a million username password combos got out of my door. Um, how should I act in the community? What am I supposed to do to maximize credential stuffing defense against the leak that I caused? One of the things you can do is you can find a way to share the information with appropriate trusted parties about just exactly which accounts were leaked. So if you can add those accounts to one of those breach databases, like a Have I Been Pwned or something like that, that will help tremendously because a lot of other organizations use those resources to, again, to either notify their users that hey, you may want to change your password. 
because we detected that it was involved in a breach or, um, hey, we'd like you to change your password regardless whether you've we've already done it or not, remind or encourage or um, gently force someone into enrolling for multi-factor authentication. Again, I think that's one thing that would be a huge help to the whole community. You know, if it happens, don't try to bury it because you're just going to make everything worse for your users who have already been burned once. I mean, now that it may be burned multiple times by this, it's the gift that keeps on giving. It's always nice. I always love it when a company has a security incident and then puts out a really thoughtful a treatise or write-up or, or post-event kind of review of you know what happened or why it happened, but more importantly, what we're going to do about it to make sure that it doesn't happen again. That's really valuable, not only for kind of, look, things happen and organizations make mistakes. And I know a lot of CISOs from organizations that have been victims of attacks where you know, it happened because the company just didn't sign on to what the CISO recommended in the first place. So it's not great to, to blame those folks. It's not only great to, to have more confidence that I can do business with that company again, it's also really great to learn those lessons so that you can apply them in your program as well, right? So why should I have to stay up, suffer the same issues when I can read about, you know, unfortunately it happened to you, tell me, show me, what did you learn? What are you doing different or better today? Awesome, I'm gonna, I'm gonna apply that to my program without having to feel the same pain. Yeah, I, I get that. It's the spirit behind the ISACs, right? Like, let's mm -hmm. let's have a little yeah. transparency here and deal. Share some IOCs. Even if you've successfully foiled it, here's an attack I'm facing today. All that kind of good data. I'm a big believer in we need to lock arms and share more. I think I think the bad guys, ironically enough, are sharing information on their end uh, <laughs> better and more than we are on this side of the fence sometimes. If you look at, for instance, uh, it was about like a year and a half ago or so, Zoom had a large, very public credential stuffing issue. And again, it wasn't because any major provider or service or company had a large data breach. <laughs> it was more of that collection X mentality of, of these criminals that just grab you know, a small breach here and a small breach there and a medium-sized breach here, and you put them all together, and all of a sudden, you've got a huge kind of community-sourced set of credentials that you would never get from one single provider in the first place. So that, that spirit of camaraderie that they have, we need to have as well. And fortunately, and thankfully, I do see a lot of that in our community. I'm happy to report. Sam Small, or should I say the good Dr. Sam Small. <laughs> We're getting close to the end of the show here. I want to thank you so much for this fantastic conversation, but I got to ask you one last question before we go, and that is, what keeps you going in cybersecurity? Why do you get out of bed in the morning ready to tackle another day in InfoSec? It's the people. I've been really lucky in my career to work with some of the smartest people I've ever met and also some of the most generous and caring people. So definitely one aspect of it. I, I think, you know, if you look at who my personal friends are, a lot of them just happen to be members of, of our community as well. There's a lot of value that we provide to industry and to our communities and to online commerce as well, that these are things that uh, I'm pretty glad we have. I want to be able to use them securely as well. And you know, I'm just a problem solver. I, you know, I like looking at things the way they are and saying, well, why do we have to do it that way? What if we could do this instead? Why do we have to accept that? And so security always has these kinds of these problems available to us. I, I think if I worked in an area that was more traditional or more stable, I think I'd get bored very easily. And so security really allows me to kind of uh, have a hard time focusing on any one thing, but that's to the benefit of, of the work that I do. That's a fantastic answer. It's not just about the people. It's about the the process. It's kind of a, a mishmash of all of the above, really. And I, and I have to agree with you thoroughly on that one, too. Well, Sam Small, thank you so much for coming on down to the Cyber Ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now.